You all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Yeah. Albert Shivers. The Matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. folks, and welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am Albert Shivers, and today is a big, big episode for me and for you, because on the show today, on this episode, is illustrator and painter Bob Eggleton. You may know him best for his illustrations and paintings of Godzilla, King Kong, and all those famous monsters, but he also works with Dark Horse Comics. He's done visual art for Magic the Gathering, as well as science fiction paintings for science fiction novels. He is also a nine-time Hugo Award winner, and the credits just go on and on for Bob. And I'm so, so glad and humbled that he came on the show. This is a big, big score for our little podcast, the best podcast you never heard in your life. Might get a little bit more on the map with Bob Eggleton coming on the show. And I enjoyed my conversation with him. And I'm pretty sure you guys will too. It's so interesting to hear about how he got into art, where he started, how he his how his art grew as he progressed through his career, what he's up to now. And most interesting to me, doing art myself, was to hear about his process. To hear about how he starts work, what other artists inspire him was really interesting to me. He draws inspiration from all kinds of different art that have come before him as well as his contemporaries. So we had a great, great conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to Bob, I want to fill you in on a little bit of what's cooking with me. Uh, This past Sunday, I went down to Maple Grove Speedway. That was a real fun time. That is a drag strip down near Reading. Just big, big fun. I always enjoy the NHRA events. I think of the different motorsports, they are the most uh, interactive, so to speak. You can get up close, go into the pits, watch them tear down the cars in between each run. And there's always something going on. There's always action on the track. Yesterday, there was a lot of intermittent rain that made things real, real herky-jerky. Uh, in terms of racing, but they got most of it in. This uh, Towards the end, like right before the final rounds, the skies really opened up, and I actually just decided to go home because it had been a full day up to that point. And if they were, I don't even know if they got back racing. If they were, though, it was going to be a while. Um, track drying doesn't take quite as long for those events as it does for, like, NASCAR or, like, oval asphalt racing but still it would have been a while because you have to wait for the rain to stop and then try to dry the track so drivers can go over 300 miles an hour so 
you you have to get like it has to be dry you can't mess around when speeds of that magnitude are going to happen and you want the drivers to be safe if you listen to last week's episode or two weeks ago i think it was with karen shapiro and you listen to the beginning of it I was planning on bidding on a Hank Williams III record. I did not win the bidding. Some dudes snuck in out of nowhere and just bid it up to way above what I was willing to pay for a record. So it's all good. Sad end to that story. I was hoping to nab it. It's the last one on my list of damn records I want to grab. But one day it will come to me. So I'm, I'm, it's fine. Um, For the podcast, Halloween is coming up, and all of October is going to be horror and Halloween-related episodes. There's a lot, a lot of fun stuff in the works for that. And um, so just keep, stay tuned, keep jumping in. If episodes interest you, listen to them. You can see what else is going on with me on Instagram, at Albert Shivers. I got some new art shows coming up. I'm going to start pumping them up on Instagram and on my website, www.albertshivers.com If you'd like to support the show, you could jump onto the Albert Shivers Patreon page where I'm still working on building it up, but if you'd like to support the show, we would appreciate it. Lastly, the secret word for this episode is novel. Uh, Time mark the secret word on the YouTube version of this podcast and get a shout out in the next episode. I'm working to put together some prizes to have uh, in the future. If you find the secret word, maybe you'll get an art print or a Planet Shivers poster. Um, so we're working on that. This, I'm really trying to get some cool stuff going on. And I'm going to have a new motorsports series coming out on the Albert Shivers YouTube channel. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, sort of serious, sort of comedy. A little bit of both. Um, looking to um, drag all my things together into something about racing, which will be a lot of fun. If you know me, you know it's a big passion of mine. I'm a gigantic fan of motorsports, and I'm always looking for ways to combine art, the podcast, and motorsports together and just come up with a fun little show. So there's still a lot of pieces to put together so i'm not going to say too much and spoil too much but like and subscribe to or subscribe to the youtube channel like the videos whatever you like you like but subscribe to the youtube channel this way you'll see whatever new stuff is cooking i'm going to start pumping out new art videos as well so i'm getting back into the grind the summer is over the fall is here it's my favorite season and it makes me feel very very inspired to throw lots of work out there so it's gonna i'm gonna be quite restless for the next couple of months but i want to keep putting things out because you put things out people see it people enjoy it and it gives folks something to do and help support this little ragtag project that i got going on here that's all i'm gonna say enough talking from me here is my conversation with illustrator and painter bob eggleton i hope you enjoy it and here it comes after these messages. 
Swedes are special people. They live longer than anyone and never go to war. Why? Because for thousands of years they have unlocked the secrets of the universe inside themselves. Now comes this special woman, Madam Eva from Sweden, to unlock your secrets. Call this number, use your push-button phone, and she will give you a personalized reading about you, your life, love, success, and future. Call now, Madam Eva, $1.95 a minute. Saturday night, June 3rd, one night only at Raceway Park. The Snap-On Tools Night of Thrills. Presented by P.C. Richard and Son. Ashley Force, daughter of 13-time funny car NHRA champ John Force. Racing her A-Fuel Dragster. Plus 300-mile-an-hour nitro funny cars. The blown alcohols, pro-stock motorcycles, wild wheel standards, jet cars, and more. A record-setting car jump. Plus six tar-crushing monster trucks. Everyone gets in. Tickets at the gate. Gates at 5, show at 7 p.m. The Snap-On Tools Night of Thrills. Presented by P.C. Richard and Son. This is WEVD in New York. Artist Bob Eggleton, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. I love you. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. So I'd like to get started with talking about your childhood interest in science fiction and um, how that led you into wanting to create that art yourself. Sure. Um, well, back when, I mean, you know, as far as I can remember, I was always interested in space activities like like you know the gemini missions that's really going back and and the apollo missions especially and you know that that kind of segue it really did into science fiction and of course i love dinosaurs and so it's between dinosaurs and space uh somewhere in there we we became um i became uh, completely fascinated with science fiction of all sorts uh, and this, of course, led into Star Trek. It led into Godzilla. It led into 2001 A Space Odyssey. It led into everything else to follow. You know, it just opened right up. And comic comics, I loved comic books. Read Famous Monsters of Filmland. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I read all the classics like H.G. Wells and, 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 and Jules Verne back in the day. And, uh, you know, really great. And it was just it just set my imagination going. And I started realizing that there's a bigger picture out there than what I had led to been led to believe. I mean, I got thrown out of Sunday school at an early age because I they, they wanted to do this coloring of the Garden of Eden. I'm not I'm not kidding. And um, it was and so I put dinosaurs in it and um, that didn't go over too well. Uh, I, w- I was four. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten in trouble um, in Sunday school for the exact same reason of adding dinosaurs into the mix, trying yeah, exactly. to figure out where they fit in. Like, hey, what about the dinosaurs? What about the dinosaurs? You know, and 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 of course, like you know, well, well, we don't we don't do that. We don't do that. I'm like, well, they existed, right? Like that. And that's when I started. I started really going off in the imagination stuff, and then I saw. Of course, I saw. I saw. Um, 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. and when i was nine okay. and it was one of these situations where i was with a bunch of adults and they said well if this is a little too heavy for you maybe some of us can explain it to you well guess who explained it to them <laughs> that's great and um 
And they're like, what was this monolith? I said, that was an alien intelligence, I said, that is omnipotent and large. And I said, it's trying to make man ascend to something bigger. And and uh, I said, it's been here for millions of years since the time of of, of, of of when you know pre pre uh you know uh like ape like ape like humans you know like that and uh, mm-hmm. you know and then this is like, this is like you know oh my god like this is a nine-year-old telling us this you know and um yeah it was, it was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun with that and then of course i got into art and i was always drawing and i always would draw monsters and comic book stuff and you know the typical things i'd even copy things out of comic books just because that's what you did when you were younger you know when you were an artist you were younger and then when i was um uh you know uh, getting older you know uh, parents were like what are you gonna do for a living like that and i'm going like, well you know i was going to be a comic book artist or i wanted to be um i wanted to be a a a, a, a painter you know a, a, an artist a paint guy you know and like, well, there's a secure living, you know, like that, you know, <laughs> and uh, and that was like, you know, mid seventies, late seventies, and um, you know, and that's kind of what my driving thing was. In like seventy seven, seventy eight, I was already doing. I sold my first professional painting uh, to a woman. I'd done a landscape, and I sold it for like a hundred dollars in nineteen seventy six to a woman who still has it apparently to this day and um the british english landscape kind of thing and that i consider that a 16 that was my first professional sale and then of course what happened in 1977 we got star wars we got close encounters we got all these great movies and star trek the motion picture and with all of that came all these things called concept art like by ralph mcquarrie and and ron cobb and all these great artists and you start yourself you thought to yourself you know this is something that's what I want to be doing. You know, that's what I want to do. If they can do it, that's what I want to do. So it was really formative year. It was very formative for me. It was very formative stuff for me to, um, to uh, enjoy that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of, um, uh, you know, that kind of art at a very early age. And that was my art school and go, so to speak. And then going into the book covers, uh, I'd seen work by Frank Frazetta and Michael Whalen and, and Kelly Frears and uh, Paul Lair and all legends of book covers, people that I really looked up to. And I was seeing this in bookstores and I'm going like, you know, somebody gets paid to do this. And so that's where I sort of decided that's where I'm going to start aiming my own work into painting book covers. And then I went to the 1980 World Science Fiction Convention. And I'd never been to anything like it my entire life. And I had, and I saw up close and personal all these beautiful art, Vincent de Fate, you know, uh, everybody. And I said, that, you know, I brought my own work and it was drawings at the time. And to my shock and surprise, I won Best Amateur Artist in both divisions, uh, the, 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 the peer division and the fan division, which was, they, they, that's all different. It's all very different now. But I, I won, they were my first awards that I won. And from then on in, I realized, you know, I think I'm into something and I think I'm going to keep going on with this. And uh, that's what happened. And I started going to a lot of conventions. And back then, you went to a lot of science fiction conventions and it was very easy because publishers, uh, science fiction was taking off like crazy thanks to Star Wars. It was really, it was an explosion. And, and publishers were digging up any single, everything they could find, any, you know, forgotten works of our forgotten works ce doc smith uh uh you know murray leinster people like this you know 
stuff that just nobody had on the shelves anymore. And they were bringing it back and they were getting some of the best artists to do these covers. And there was a book that came out called tomorrow and beyond. And it was edited by Ian Summers and it was a real watershed book. It became kind of the progenitor of spectrum and stuff like that. And it was, I think it, I think, I believe it generated a whole new genre of artists wanting to do this kind of stuff and i started going to science fiction conventions and i started meeting these guys and then, then being in art shows and i was selling artwork i was paying for my way to go to the convention and 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 something was working out and then one day i had jim bain come along and he asked me do you do book covers and i said no but i want to he says here's my card give me your card we could talk and i started doing book covers for him hmm. how how many artists i'm sure there's tons but was um, book covers a popular line of work for artists to get into? Because so many of those books were from back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the it, it. All right. You had Kelly Freeze and you had Frank Rosetta and they were probably and Boris Vallejo. Boris Vallejo is another one. And they were probably the three most prominent artists that were seen in the early 70s, early to mid 70s. And. You had other guys like John Schoenher and Rick Sternbach, who I, again, I, I considered to be mentors. They're great guys. And they were doing magazine covers and such. And I kind of started like, there was no social media. There wasn't anything like that. So we started going to conventions and that was our social media, waiting in line to register or something like that. We get talking to people and then we'd be, you know, going you know, go down, this, go down for drinks or go down for a dinner or something like that. And you're all of a sudden you're having dinner with your icon, you know, who, who you, 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 you've loved. And that's how you, um, you made a living. And that's how you, you connected with these people. And they would in turn connect you with people and they'd say, Hey, you know, such and such is doing this whole new line of books. He's looking for book cover artists. Why don't you contact him? And this would, these, and it was publishers. It was a lot of different publishers run by a lot of different companies which meant everybody's more competitive. And it meant with competition, competition generated innovation. And innovation um, was meaning different kinds of books, different kind of, you know, really, you know, everything was getting, you know, wilder. And you had authors who were writing these really incredible stuff, Larry Niven and Martha Clark. And, um, you know, the, the list could go on of, of people that were writing these, these books. And uh, everybody loved them. And uh, they were they were selling them. And uh, and, I, you know, it was kind of like, you know, it was a golden age. It was a golden age because we, we didn't have a computer and uh, we had to wait till movies came out in the theater. You know, so we had books coming out and people grokked onto the books. And that's what I believe happened is that we were you know, we were in this golden age of it. And I you know, benefited from that in a very big way. And I caught that wave and I was, I wouldn't say I was in the first wave of guys, but I was in kind of the second wave of guys that came up in that thing. And, and everything took off from there. And I always held on to my interests of Star Trek and uh, the things I love Godzilla, stuff like that. And I kept that flame burning in whatever I'm doing. And I had determined early on that I was going to make a living in art no matter what. So I, I did to work on college for a few years. And I had a wonderful teacher named Enrico Pernardi, and um, he's a fine artist. He was a fine artist. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was a fine artist, and but he understood. He got me. He understood what I wanted to do. And he got me into H.R. Giger's work from Alien, because this is right around 1979 when Giger was becoming a household word because of his work on Alien. 
and we we were first introduced to the, the term biomechanics, you know, and uh, and 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 nobody had heard of a term like that in their life. Biomechanics, what the hell is that? You know, and you had Omni Magazine, you had this like Bob Guccione, the publisher of Penthouse, decides to put out this advertises it's all dedicated science fiction and fantasy and science fact and art and he would feature portfolios of artists and this was it's your grocery checkout you know they used to have any ads for it and that to me was just how it all took off and i rode that wave and i rode a really golden age of science fiction conventions and world cons and they were really cheap to go to and fun to be with and great to see everybody and um, and everything kind of took off from there. And then we get to, to the end of the 80s and I was still riding high on some things. And, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, oh, Bob, you're nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Professional Artist. Wow. You know, that's nice. In eight years, I went from amateur to professional. Yeah. And um, then in 19, I was nominated for a bunch of years. And then in 1994, they God smiled upon me and I won. And uh and then I would go on to win eight more times, uh, seven more times for best professional artist. I'd win best related book. So a total of nine Hugos, which is nice. Yeah. And I won them in the time when you didn't have to petition for them. There was just everybody was glad you won. And even if somebody, you know, won and I was and I've lost many, I lost many. You're still glad for the guy that won. You know what I mean? Right. I would look take the guy's hand and say congratulations it was really great being in the category with you you deserved it and that's that's how you you know that's how it is you know and now i, I don't know what the hell's going on now but it's 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 it, it's not that and i'm uh you know uh, very grateful of what i've done and i feel very lucky to have done the last 40 years of my life what i've done i it's I a few regrets but you know what you can't go back and you just have to move forward yeah, we you've done a ton of great work. Um, we, when how did the cover art transform into you eventually doing all the Godzilla related art and monster? Oh, well, Godzilla was one of the things I got into in 1966. My mother bought me this game called the Godzilla game. She goes, "Is it got a dinosaur on?" I thought you'd like it. Well, she didn't really talk like that, but she she, <laughs> she got a dinosaur on it. I thought you'd like it. She was British. Right. So anyway, she said, "So I, I loved it." And I had to find out what this monster was. Was it a board game? It was a board game. For 69 cents, you get at a store. And it, it was the simplest game you could play in the world. You have to just race up to, without stepping on Godzilla's footprint, because if you did, you get radiation poisoning, you get thrown in the hospital for a while. Okay. And, I mean, this is like, this is, like the, this is a kid's game. You know? <laughs> I mean, I just said on Facebook the other day, they had a family toy with Vincent Price making shrunken heads. Remember that? Yes, I've seen that. Yep. And I mean, we lived in an age. It was a great time, you know. And um, anyway, so, um, uh, you know, she she gave me this game, and I said, I got to find it. This is Godzilla. Well, you know, finally, around 1970, Universal Pictures was starting to air these things at local little tiny mom-and-pop theaters. One was place place near us called the Jerry Lewis Cinema. Okay, and they would show a do like dollar or fifty cent movies or whatever it was, and the afternoon matinee was King Kong versus Godzilla. So I had to see it, 
And it was love at first sight. I said, oh, my God, here he is, his thing. So I started watching Godzilla on the Channel 7 Sunday afternoon movie, the original one. And then, of course, Monster Zero, War the Gargantuas, all this kind of stuff started coming out. On And then we had something in New England called Creature Double Feature in 1975, where they started showing Godzilla movies on like in Saturday afternoons. And they were really poorly conditioned, cracks and breaks in them and edited and all that stuff. And and yet we lo- we 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 loved them, and I had to dial the thing as a UHF channel, so I had to mess around with the TV to make it work. And um, now everything, if it's not HD and high 4K, you know, people complain, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so anyway, so so that got me into it. And then of course, like I always loved it and held the candle on it. And people thought, oh, you know, it's you know, you'll grow out of it. Why well, I never did. And then um, along comes Dark Horse Comics, and I started working for them, doing some Godzilla cover art and things like that, because I asked. And um, then I did a Godzilla, wrote a Godzilla story for them. And then I got involved with the Godzilla paperback and uh, publishing program that Random House initiated in the late 1990s to do with the new, the up-and-coming 1998 Godzilla movie. And I did some work, a lot of work on that. And uh, then I started going to G-Fest, which is a big Godzilla convention in the United States. And now all these conventions have popped up, but G-Fest has started 30 years ago or so. And and uh, I'll always go to that because it's kind of like seeing family again, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're all the kaiju generation. I mean, I went to G-Fest when it was 150 people starting in the mid-90s. That, yeah. We thought that was a lot. Now right. it's just thousand six thousand people and it's all because we have this thing called the legendary godzilla series which came out of the movies and they've all been hit so we got a new one coming out next year godzilla uh, uh, godzilla minus one is going to hit theaters this um december uh first uh and we have a godzilla tv series coming out from apple tv you know i mean it gets get better than this you know and so it's, it's a great time we live in and you know, I'm just riding it and having so much fun with it myself. And uh, but, you know, I always like my roots in science fiction because it's all part of science fiction. Uh, I just got through illustrating and it's coming out in the fall. King Kong for MBI books. And it's okay. going to be a gorgeous books. I mean, gold leafed and oh, it's going to be beautiful and slipcase the whole nine yards signed edition. It's going to sell for three hundred dollars and change. But it, they're already looking at it possibly selling out, which I'm really happy about. And then I'm doing a Clark Ashton Smith book for Centipede Press, which is this clinical called Hyperborea, which is this big epic that he wrote on this imaginary continent. And Smith was a friend, so he knew H.V. Lovecraft. And so they kind of shared a universe and they kind of created their own monsters and stuff. And so Smith populated this whole land with monsters and everything. So I'm having a ball doing that. And on top of that, I, I got to know uh, recently, I mean, when you love, they say when you love something so much, I, one of my, in my travels, uh, I've, in the last 10 years, I got to know the Akira Takarada, who starred in the original Godzilla movie and his family. And he became like a father mentor to me. He was a very special man. He, he died, he passed away a couple of years ago. And, and we, we, I still love him. He's, he was such a nice man and he would come up and, and, uh, we were just uh, we just we became really great friends like fa- like family it was very close and this was a cute this is the guy that's 
original Godzilla movie. And he's in Monster Zero, which is my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, lately, I've gotten to know uh, actor-writer Todd Stashwick, who uh, is in uh, Star Trek Picard, uh, season three, and he's in 12 Monkeys. And he's a he's a he's like any of us just out just that great nerdy guy that has his, loves D, loves the the movies loves the whole thing and uh i i'm not going to get into it but we're working on something and uh and it's all been it's all been great and so uh i just keep 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 going going on you know no matter ad, against all advers at all against all adversarial things gotcha <laughs> One thing about your career that was cool to hear um, in one of your other interviews is you grown up reading Famous Monsters magazine and you end up on the cover, your artwork on the cover. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, that was kind of fun. It was like I grew up with Famous Monsters. I was one of four East kids, as they call us. And there was an issue back in 1975 called it's, it dedicated all of Japan's monsters. And then they had I, I collected the magazine. It was a magazine you hid under your bed because you always saw your parents go, oh, that's a gross picture, you know. So anyway, and it was, you know, you got this magazine. And it was cheaply printed, but beautiful. Bas- the Basil Gogol's covers were just what you look forward to every month. And um, anyway, uh, so Famous Monsters, it ceased publication in 1983, and then it was resurrected in the 90s by someone else, and that fell to pieces. And then in the 2010, it was bought by someone else. He contacted me, uh, Philip Kimden, and he contacted me, wanted me to do covers for him. And we sort of got into talking about Godzilla and this sort of thing and a uh, decent guy. And then we, we, I just did some covers and I did some covers for him for, for some of their kaiju issues and things of this nature. And it was a lot, they were a lot of fun to do. You know, it got me, it won me a Rondo award. I'm really happy about that. So, so, um, you know, it was just fun. It was fun having a magazine that I was a child of. Now I was working doing the covers for. So there was a real sense of coming in the big full circle for that. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your, your process? So you, you paint with the oils mostly. Now, uh, yeah. I, my wife got me into oils because she, she, was having she only painted in oils and i was painting in acrylics and i was doing out of force a habit and i was thinking like oils get dirty and mussy and they don't dry fast and whatever well was i wrong when i started i started small doing small paintings and i figured if i could do small paintings and if i screwed them up it wasn't a big issue and then the the ones that were successful i just put on a blog and i'd sell them for 125 bucks each and people would buy them and I'd say, okay, great. Well, I've learned something new and somebody bought it and they got a little piece of art for a nice little bit of money. Well, it became like I sold a lot of paintings that way. Then I started working on bigger works in oil and I've, I'm loving it every minute of it. I mean, I even do, I still do acrylics. I still have acrylics. I still have the use of my life. It's just that, um, you know, I, I, I really love the, the, the pure color of oil because oil when it dries, what dries is the linseed oil actually solidifies. Mm-hmm. Whereas acrylics, the water in the acrylics evaporates. So the paint kind of contracts and it loses a little bit of color. So that's why when you paint with a rich, rich, rich acrylic color, and it looks great in the tube, nice and wet. Then right. it looks all dry and tasty sometimes. And that's because the water's gone out of it. 
And uh, whereas oils don't do that because the actual, uh, the medium, which is linseed oil, actually solidifies in the paint. So it keeps the paint and the colors of them is actually, you know, yeah. So it's a more, I would say it's a more honest way of, of working like that in that sense. Although I, I'm pretty successful in acrylics too. A lot of people look at my acrylics and they think that they're oils. So, you know, that's that I would consider that successful too. I'm, I'm, I'm really radical in my approach to it. I, I don't do this methodical, you know, paint by numbers and build things up with shades. And I, I just throw paint at the canvas and hope the hell it comes out great. Okay. Gotcha. One thing that um, I had heard you said, which I do the same thing, is looking at other art very, very close, getting right up close yes. to it. I like to do too. Yeah. Um, who Who are some of the artists that outside of the science fiction world that inspired you? Oh boy, that's a big one, big list. But okay. I'll get to it. Um, Gustave Doré. If you Google Gustave Doré, now normally people are familiar with his etchings. And he, he illustrated Dante's Inferno. He illustrated the divine, you know, divine comedy. He illustrated the Bible. He did incredible artwork for the Bible. But I'm not even religious, but it's like, wow, this is incredible artwork. And I mean, the whole thing of Satan in the divine comedy is Satan being cast out of heaven. And it's just an incredible piece. And he did another one of Leviathan. <coughs> and um, anyway, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, what happened was... Um, uh, he also painted and he painted Scottish landscapes and his landscape painting and his surreal painting actually, to me, rivals his work in what he did in his drawings and etchings. And you look up close and I was up very up close to his work a couple of weeks ago in Scotland. And you can just see where he's just wiped on paint and just scraped it on and there's texture on it and all this stuff. And, and the same thing, another guy I love is J J Joseph, uh, William Turner, Joseph Millard Turner. He, um, he is my go-to guy in terms of color and how his insane use of just, you know, just going wild with something and, and piling up paint and piling up paint and everything would just come out and he would just hope, he'd work at it and hope for the best. And he would have this incredible confidence if one is to go by the movie, Mr. Turner, which he was played by Timothy Sproul, uh, excellently, he has incredible confidence with his work. He didn't, he, he, he would look at his work and he would, he, he'd say to other artists too, he'd look at their work in the Academy View and say, it looks fine, it looks fine, you're going to do great, you're going to do great. And, you know, Constable was a massive insecure, he's another artist I'm inspired by, I love his work, John Constable. And he was an absolute massive insecurity. And and Turner would just come along and pat him on the shoulder and say, you'll, you'll, you'll be great. You'll be great like that, you know, and that's what is you needed that you needed that. And I, I could cite so many great artists. I mean, you know, it's just hard to name them all. Every single great classical artist influence, even Da Vinci, some of Da Vinci's work. Uh -huh. um, and uh uh, you know, some of the, some of the British landscape artists and some of the Hudson, the Hudson Valley river guys here, uh, Frederick church, Albert Bierstadt, uh, these people did incredible work. And when you get up close to it, it's just literally scraped 
you know, these, 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 you know, I get, I get, I get museum guards and docents really nervous because I get right up close to the artwork and I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm like inches from it. Cause I want to, and I'm getting my iPad here to take photos like, you know, this far away from the surface, because I want to get that. I want to get that, that I want to get a good look at that texture. And, um, and then when I'm looking at it, the nice part is this is what's really a great feeling is that I'm looking at Turner's work and it's not intimidating. I'm looking at Gustav's Doré's work and it's not intimidating. And I'm going like, this is, you know, I'm getting there. I'm doing something. I'm doing it. And Mm -hmm. that's what goes through my mind. It doesn't get, it never gets depressing. It just gets like, I'm doing it. So when you say, um, what do you mean by intimidating? Oh, intimidating. Like a lot of artists, they go to, they go to a museum and they'll go, oh God, you know, I mean, and they're brilliant artists. These guys are really great artists. Mm-hmm. I won't name names, but they're really great artists. And they go into their thing and they think, oh man, I just saw that, I saw that Caravaggio and I didn't want to cut my wrist. I, oh, I hate it. I hate my, no, don't worry about it. Have your icons, have the people that always have the elder gods you love. Because one day, one day, and you may not be alive, but one day you'll be an elder god to somebody. Hmm. And I really believe that. I really believe that. And you know, um, I've had I had a, 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 a show I was in that had to be curated by uh, the director of British Landscapes from the Tate. And the word I got on a private QT was he compared my stuff with Turner and some of the great British landscape painters, and when win <laughs> you know i'll take it i'll go with it right. I'll run. you know what i mean it's like when you're getting that kind of thing i i'll just go with it and you know i'm not into trends i'm not into people telling me well you know this kind of thing sells you know i don't do that i just do what gets my gets my fire revved up and that's what i do and and i work with people i love working with um you know, and I only, and this people, you know, call me up and I, or write me and I, I, I'm not sure if I want to work with it, yeah. but, but there's other people I, I, they email me or I, t- I communicate with them and um, immediately it's just like, we hit it off so well. I just say, I just want to work with this guy. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and when I'm passionate about something, I throw 150% of myself into it too. That's the way it has to be, I think, especially with art. Oh God, yeah. In the times we live in now, it's like you gotta like you gotta fight for that passion too, and that is so hard to do because believe me, I feel it. It, it. it gets to me. It really gets to me um, because you know we're in a time when you know the AI stuff's come along, so it hasn't affected me per se. I'm so busy, crazy, but I'll tell you about AI. It's like what it's done is it makes people think art is cheap and easy to do. It makes people think process is not easy to do. Process takes time and it takes effort and it takes work and it takes dedication to what you're doing. And it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't something you type prompts into a thing and come up with this, you know, and and the the funny part is is that um, somebody put prompts in of my stuff to see if they could do a Bob Eggleton and, and it came out a mess. (laughs) <laughs> and because it came out a mess because the, the I was beating the AI because it couldn't figure me out. And that that to me was a win. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a victory. Pure, 
I've seen some interesting stuff. I've seen interesting stuff, but you know what? It's still not a painting. It's still not a human made painting. It's never going to be a human made painting. Uh, and don't anybody ever kid themselves that this is like, you know, this is going to, you know, because artists, art has survived centuries. It has survived centuries and centuries of 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 criticism and dark ages and all this kind of stuff and it's survived and ultimately what's you know going to happen is that the human made art will survive it ju- it'll just become more valuable mm-hmm. because the machine stuff it's fine yeah all right i've looked at it and there's some stuff that i've said yeah, it's interesting it's impressive and i'm sitting there thinking like you know i could just take that and rework it a bit and it it solved the lighting problem for me but you know, I'm going to take it and rework it and make a real painting out of it and put my own self into it. Right. And that is when that kind of thing can actually help you. It can be part a tool in the process, but it's not a means to an end. And anybody thinks, oh, I could do this and I can get it for nothing like that. No, it, it, ultimately, it's going to have its limited. Ultimately, it's not going to work. Ultimately, it's going to come back to human beings designing things because that's the way it's been. I've... I couldn't agree more with that. And it's it's the digital stuff is definitely out there a lot and it can get um frustrating, I guess. Yeah. I love digital art. Don't get me wrong. I think digital art in the hands of amazingly talented artists is just a tool. Mm-hmm. And I've need I've no incredible artist. Todd Lockwood is a good one. He uses mostly a digital over his paintings. Incredible artist. It just but he lets his is his work is simply um, the, 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 the medium is simply the tool, but it's the talent in his head that, and the talent in his hands that comes through. And, 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 and he could sit down with a pair with a bunch of oils and do just as amazing job in oils. Right. And uh, that's just something that you have to, um, uh, you know, it's just the way it is, you know, and, and, and it's the same thing with writing, you know, it's, computer's not going to write something for you it's gonna i I had somebody write a biography of me in that chat bot thing okay god it was (laughs) it was awful it it states that i won five euro awards wrong it states that i work with larry niven wrong (laughs) you know i just you know i i don't know where it was getting this from and i'm going like i hope you're not taking this seriously and so you know and i work also with people that don't like that stuff they they think that they don't care they're willing to pay for me to do something really good for them because they think this this ai stuff is crap and and it's 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 just so fashion short-lived and that's that's the the thing with it somebody comes up with something and thinks oh oh, i created that it's like no you didn't It, it just skimmed it it scraped it off of data such as my stuff online it scraped it off these images and reinserted it and reworked it in a, in a different way. And I've, you've got Jim Burns who does this stuff. He puts in some prompts, he gets some ideas out, but then he reworks it to make his own painting. And in a way I can get behind that, but um, it's the people that think they're gonna get something for nothing. That's the, that's the problem. That's this is something for nothing attitude where it's on the internet, so it's free. No, it's yeah. no, it, it just, no, it isn't talent hard work whether you write whether you do art it comes it is it is it is the process is hard agreed 
Agreed. Uh, in in closing, Bob, where can folks find you to, to see your work um, online? Instagram is a big one. Okay. Follow me on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, too. Don't look at my website. I took it down because it was it was it had some problems with it. I didn't like the server. So we're retooling it at the moment to figure out how I can make it a little more friendly. And I will have prints and things like that available, like a little store on it. So cool. people can buy things. But I'm on the internet. Just Google my name and you'll see pictures come up. And uh, But again, Instagram is great because Instagram, it, for me, uh, it's immediate. It's very friendly. It's, 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 it's usually friendly, except when I'm getting like the, 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 the porn girls that are trying to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those, some, of that stuff, some of that stuff is funny. It's like, I love, yeah. your, I love your work. Oh, hey, thanks. Would you do this for yourself? Yeah. What are you doing right now? I'm getting out of the shower. Bye. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's what that's what it's like. But anyway, yeah, this is joyful. This is great. Cool. And um, I want to say, not only on behalf of me, but probably hundreds of other artists, you're a big inspiration, Bob. And I, I appreciate Thank you. Thank your you time. so much. I've loved your work for a long time before oh. I even knew it was you doing it. Thank um, you. And we had met years ago at a chiller convention. I remember convention. your face. I remember your face. I do. Okay. So we had met at a chiller convention, and you, you've stuck in my mind since then. And I've looked at your work. And now that I have this platform to talk to people, sure, yeah, somebody sure. Who, I, who I was really looking forward to talking to. Great. Super. Well, All right. Thank you again, Bob. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank everybody. Uh, thank you for enjoying my work. And there's more to come and, uh, and and all kinds of stuff coming out and surprises and it's changing in ways that we can't imagine, but I'm going to sort of work with it as best I can and I'll do the art as, you know, as it comes. So thank you all and thank you for the lovely words. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast and a big, big thank you to Bob Eggleton for coming on the show and talking with me about his work and about how he got started it was really great conversation, and I'm glad I was able to share it with you guys. There's a lot more stuff coming. I think I'm going to do a one-off episode to fill you in. I try not to do too much jabbering when I have a guest on beforehand, but there's a lot of stuff I want to share with you guys, so I might have to do a solo episode at some point soon. We'll see what happens. But until then, you could find all episodes including this one, on all major podcast platforms and YouTube with video. Don't forget to check out Instagram, at Albert Shivers, Facebook, Albert Shivers, Patreon, the Albert Shivers page, and www.albertshivers.com. However many W's, three, right? Until the next episode and until the next time, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. Goodbye, wimps.